Uh, this morning, we get the great privilege of hearing from our dear friend Dave Carlson. It's great to have him back with us. He has been with us several times over the past several years. I'm excited to have him back. He's faithfully served as the planting pastor, but also the lead pastor at Neighborhood Church in San Jose since 2006. And he's also was a part of starting a ministry uh, currently known as Foster the City. A ministry committed to raising a coalition of churches, providing long-term homes for children in our foster care. He's speaking into a part of renewal that we're talking about, but Dave has a huge heart for us, and Dave is the real deal. So I'm excited to have you, him here with you this morning. So why don't you welcome Dave with us. Thanks, Dale. Appreciate it. All right. Well, good morning. Um, I always thank people for letting me be here, but none of you had any idea that I was going to be here but you just received the thanks anyways. But I do want to say, be encouraged as a church. This church has uniquely um, invited um, significant pulpit time and energy and strategy around the area of caring for vulnerable children in a unique way for a really long time. So as I'm speaking today, um, my prayer for this church is that you would both be encouraged to press on, um, but also be encouraged for what God's already done in this place. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. You are made to celebrate what is good and just. Every single one of you in this room and every single person you've ever met is hardwired to celebrate what is good and just. And that was imprinted on you by your creator. Goodness and justice changes as you grow in the truth. Let me explain from a story that happened. It was a super hot summer night, this last summer, sometime after midnight, and my wife and I were in our bedroom talking with our oldest son, kind of debriefing the day, chatting, and all of a sudden we heard a car ripping down our street that sounded like about 100 miles an hour. That's a problem because we live on a street that has a 35 mile per hour speed limit. Our sliding door is open so we could hear it ripping towards us, blows through the stop sign, and then we hear a second one coming. Moments later, we heard what sounded like an explosion, and me and my son rush out to our balcony looking to our left, and what we see is a plume of smoke going up about a half a block away down the street. In a couple seconds, me and my oldest are out the door and we're sprinting down Cherry Avenue to go see what was happening. On the way, we saw my neighbor's Prius that has been sideswiped, looks like King Kong ripped the side of it off, and it has moved a full house and a half from where it's normally parked. God's judgment on Prius drivers, it's right there. <laughs> All the Prius drivers are like, this guy's a jerk. All right, stay with me, Prius drivers. We get to a car that is spun around the wrong way. He's facing the wrong way. His body has been thrown into the passenger side. Blood is coming down his face. Uh, surprisingly, we're the first on the scene. And we start talking to this guy in a loud voice saying, hey, we're here, it's gonna be okay. What's your name? We just start talking to him. He's kind of seemingly in and out of consciousness. Well, as we're doing this, another guy is there guy in his young 20s, and with a really thick accent, he begins to talk to us, and he's pretty agitated. We don't really understand what's happening, and finally we get the picture that these two are the two drivers, 
the semi-conscious one and the one talking to us, and they had just had a fender bender up the street, and when this second driver went to pull out his phone and take pictures and call the police, the initial driver said no cops, grabbed the phone, jumped in his car, and took off driving. All of a sudden, while this story is going on, a few feet from the unconscious driver, he starts to stir and starts to grab his door and try to get out. My oldest son walks over, put his knee up against the door, and he said, stay right there, stay put, and just kind of held, held the position. Here's what I want to point out. Two completely different messages in a matter of moments. From, hey, help is on the way, it's going to be okay, what's your name, talk to me, to stay put. Both of those messages were done from a motive of wanting to do what is good and what is just. What changed? The light of truth. Now it turns out the police escorted that guy away in custody, so the police seemed to think there was enough evidence that that's really what happened. When the light of truth comes, good injustice grows over time. I want to apply God's timeless reality that our sense of good and justice is imprinted on us and that it grows and changes over time. It really doesn't change, does it? It's our understanding that, that, that changes. And I want to use the Old Testament prophet of Micah to do that. So if you're an old school, open your Bible. Open your Bible to Micah right now. If you're digital, scroll to Micah, find it. Um, and if not, a couple of verses will be on the screen, but I encourage you to go back and look more closely later. There's a passage in the Old Testament that's kind of like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It's one of the most portable truths that you can, that you can hear, and Christians and non-Christians alike quote it. Micah 6.8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Over the last two years, I have heard this message preached on, this verse quoted, and this verse attached to a whole host of movements and ideas. Everyone wants to grab God's book and attach it to their cause. Here's the problem. The problem comes when we don't define what is good and what is just. Now, every single person that you know has an opinion on what is good and just. If you don't believe me, here, run this little experiment. Tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m., jump on Highway 85 and head north to Palo Alto. As you drive along, leave a giant gap between you and the car in front of you. Go 10, 15 miles below the speed limit. People around you, your community friends, will let you know their opinion of whether you are good and whether that is just. Next, tail someone really close, I mean really close, and just ride them. Cut people off. I mean, right, if you do these things, you will, it'll be crystal clear. People will let you know their opinion of good and just. So clearly we don't all agree on what is good and just. So who gets to say? God does. In fact, in this passage, he has told you, O oh man, 
what is good. So we grab the verse, but we also look to the verse to let it define us. The book of Micah in your Bible is all about what is good and just. Micah is a prophet of the, of the exploited and the downtrodden. And Micah prophesied in a time of extreme social injustice. But more than just crying foul, Micah announces a solution. Listen to how different the book of Micah is laid out from the messages that we hear coming from all different angles. About one third of the book of Micah exposes sins. He doesn't call it diseases, he doesn't call it addictions, he doesn't even call it growth points. He just says it's sin. What kinds of sin? He denounces those who oppress the poor. He denounces those who abuse their positions, who rob the needy, and who exploit the innocent. So a third of the book exposes sin. You know what another third exposes? The punishment that is about to come. The wrath of God. Payment is due. Read the opening lines of Micah, it's pretty interesting. That God sees from his heavens and he's coming down there. What comes to your mind when you hear, don't make me come down there. Now my mom's in the crowd today, so I gotta be, tread lightly here. But isn't that most often an out of control parent? God's not out of control. God's in control, but he's good and he's just. So payment is due. There's punishment coming because of the wickedness in the land. The final third of the book is about restoration. That there is hope after the discipline. There's hope because God is not an out of control parent, but he's good and just. Let me say to you, church, as you start or stay in caring for vulnerable children, know this, there is always hope in the midst of the mess. There's always hope in the midst of the mess. And it begins with Jesus. In fact, I would say this, justice without Jesus is something different altogether. Justice without Jesus is something different. If you wanna discover what is good and what God requires of you, isn't it true that we should stare at Jesus? The Bible puts it this way, fix your eyes. We ought to read and reread the Gospels. What does Jesus say? What does he not say? Where does he go? Who does he interact with? How does he work and move? Micah unmistakably points to King Jesus, who will be both the remedy to current injustice and the source of power to execute justice, to do justice. In fact, some 700 years after Micah walked this same place, Jerusalem, Jesus would come on the scene doing exactly the same thing, pronouncing judgment on Samaria and Jerusalem. He would bring justice and goodness from God in the flesh. This is absolutely huge for all of us engaging in caring for vulnerable children or whatever it is that you're doing justly, that you're loving mercy, that you're loving kindness, that you're walking in humility, and it's this. 
that you are stepping into the messy to do good as one who is guilty of your own mess. Not just past tense, right? Our own ongoing messiness. What this does is it guards us against pride. It guards us from somehow elevating ourselves and like I'm doing right now on some of you and some of you are doing to me, looking down on each other. So we can enter this in humility, walking humbly with our God. Why? Because as we walk into other people's mess, we're very mindful of our own mess. But on the flip side, it also allows us to do justice with hope. Why? Because in Christ, we're slaves of right living. We're no longer slaves of sin. That's been dealt with. Did this church celebrate Easter a couple weeks ago? Because we did. Yeah. We really get to celebrate it every Sunday. We get to celebrate it every single sunrise. That because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he triumphed over sin and death. We're no longer bound to that. We're freed from that. We're now slaves to right living, doing it in his power. Let me introduce you to the Jones family, not their real name, a family from our church that entered foster care several years ago with much fear and trepidation. That's a really good sign. That's a sign that they didn't just watch the movie Annie starring Jamie Foxx and they're powered by goosebumps to get in there and change the world. So they came with fear and trepidation into this and they had an especially difficult placement of two little boys. On more than one occasion, I'm on the phone around 10.30 at night talking them off a ledge because bedtime was so incredibly traumatic and they just didn't know if they could do it anymore. Part of these two boys' worship habits in Sunday school was boxing. <laughs> Fortunately, they beat up on my kids and the other pastor's kids, so there was no lawsuit that followed, but we had to deal with it. I had asked them to share at a Foster the City event, and they were super resistant. They're a little bit more reserved. I thought that's what it was. It wasn't what it was. They said, Dave, finally they just said, I think you need to stop asking us because if we were to share at this, it would not be a best foot forward, come and do this happy work. We're struggling. We don't know if they would want to hear what we would have to say. <laughs> I said, no, that's exactly why I'm asking you to come and talk at this. We need to hear the honest truth. What's powerful is you're still engaged in it. What's powerful is you're still filled with hope. Well, fast forward a little bit of time. This family won the Foster Family of the Year Award from Santa Clara County. Did anyone know that was a thing? I didn't. I've been around this thing a while. And so I see this picture of them holding a trophy and I'm like, you know, it's funny, like you don't do that to get a trophy. Yay, a trophy from the county, right? But what it did, it opened the door for them to just share their gospel why. So powerful. People will see your good works and they'll praise your father in heaven. Let me let you into my own heart and mind on this. And let me just caution you, this may upset you, all the way up to the balcony, it may upset you, of your picture of what a pastor is supposed to think and do and fee, feel and be, be, but we're called to keep it real, right? So let me just share with you. 
Like many of you, I had a concern for and knew something of the orphan crisis around the world and right here in our own city. That there were vulnerable children in need. And like some of you here, I was happy for some distance. I came across a poem this last week. I've been reading poetry for a few years. It's not my normal natural bent, but I really, really have been enjoying it. Tried to lead our family in family devotions with some poetry on a camping trip. It did not go well. We're not at the poetry phase of family devotions. Wendell Berry wrote a collection of poems, and I read one called The Guest this week, and it struck me right between the eyes. It tells of a man who shows up unexpected and uninvited with his hand out, asking for help, setting up this relationship that the author of the poem didn't ask for. The poem takes us inside the author's dilemma. He wants to help, sort of, but not really. He writes this, eventually I gave him a smoke and the price of a meal, no more. And the last stanza is this. I paid him to remain strange to my threshold and table, to permit me to forget him, knowing I won't. He's the guest of my knowing, though not asked. Wendell Berry, the guest. Many care without caring. Social media did not invent that. That's always been an option, to care without really caring. But isn't it true that love always costs the lover? Always. Today is a message in a bottle that has washed up on your beach. Someone is in trouble. Someone is trapped, in fact. And an SOS has been issued. Save our souls. Church, God is calling us away from the safe shores of caring about vulnerable children into the deep, deep waters of caring for vulnerable children. Isn't there a big difference between caring about something and caring for someone? Of course there is. And to those who pretend not to notice, there's some stern warning in the scriptures. Proverbs 21, 13, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. We didn't know, Lord. James 4, in its typical bluntness, says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Christian life is more than talk, isn't it? It's more than learning, it's more than knowledge, it's more than singing, it's more than praying. It's all of those things, but much, much more. It is clothing yourself, church, with humility. It is anger at injustice. Anger that moves you to act. It is outdoing one another in giving honor. Mimicking the Father by considering other needs more important than my own needs. It is living out your role in the family that God is growing. 
Jenna, thank you for standing right here and saying that. God's growing a family. What is our role in expanding the family of God? 1 Corinthians 4 says this, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. Church, you will never experience this if you insist on living on your own power. If your life is orchestrated such that you never rely on anyone but yourself, you rob yourself of the life of faith. You know how I know? Because that's me. I'm in way over my head. I really am. Way over my head. Let me get uh, just a couple of actual comments back. People always wonder, is the pastor really asking us to talk or not? I'm asking you to talk. Tell me your favorite roller coaster. Raise your hand just so I can see you and acknowledge you. Favorite roller coaster, what? Giant Dipper in Santa Cruz. Giant Dipper in Santa Cruz, okay. What else? X2 at Magic Mountain. I might be with you on that one. Lost a flip-flop on that. I could not hold it on. I'm clinging with all my might. It's under there somewhere. What else? The Incredicoaster. Yes, haven't been on it yet, but I was in the old version of it. Anyone else? Up on the balcony. I don't want to... Superman at Marriott's. All right, cool. Now think about this. Think about your favorite roller coaster and think about what it does for you. Okay, what does it do for you that you would wait in a long, some of you are like, "Uh uh-uh, it doesn't do anything for me, that's why I don't have a favorite. (laughs) But what does a roller coaster do for you? Like it stirs things, yeah. Adrenaline. Adrenaline, yeah. For a fairly inexpensive, safe thing for everyone, you get some adrenaline. You know what else? That's it. You're like, it's just adrenaline. That's it. We just, we just love the adrenaline. Okay, that's good. Listen, adopting is a little bit like a roller coaster. Okay? You have to be willing to strap in and then survive the ups and downs, twists and turns, G-forces that you have no control of. And then if you're going to get sick, you try not to spew on your loved ones. That's adoption. People go, what's it like? There it is. Here's the difference. The difference is there's no ride over. After the adrenaline rush, you're like, that was sweet. At some point, you want to get back on stable ground. You want to unclip, go back to your stable home, and get back in control of some of the ups and downs, twists and turns, amount of G-forces you're going to face in a day. Adoption affects you for life. And not just you, but the one being adopted into your home. So I've shared this elsewhere, so I won't go into detail, but we have five adopted children. That's after four biological children. So we have a big family. And people ask all the time about our adoption story and kind of what went into it and all of that. So people ask, why did you save and plan and prepare and go? Was it to save those kids? On one level, yes. I've been to some orphanages around the world. And the truth is, orphanages are not enough. I'm thrilled we have them. We got to pray with those who cared for our children in the couple years that we couldn't get to them yet. However, there's way more than that to adopt them. And adoption is different than rescue. By the way, as you ponder the cost that love demands, whether you're fostering or adopting, let me have you consider the cost of not doing so. There's a cost either way. Our world as a family was much smaller 
than it, than it, than it is now. Our faith, pre-adoption, was more timid. Our prayers, way too small. Our focus, far more self-centered and short-sighted than it was before adoption. Did we save our kids from a worse situation into a better one? Yes. And our adopted kids saved us from a worse situation into a better one. It was no longer an option for me as the pastor to pass by on the other side of the road in the Good Samaritan story. God called me to rush headlong into it. So adoption invades the everyday. I want you to imagine for a second that you are drowning and a hero comes to your rescue. Comes out to you and absolutely saves your life. You would be eternally grateful for that. This person saved your life, but it would not impact your everyday life. You would think about the hero each anniversary, but not every day. Eventually you would move on. This picture right here, this day of meeting, changed four people's lives forever. In case you can't tell, that's me, by the way. Lots of kids either turns your hair loose or turns it gray. For me, I still got it, but it's gray. Rescue doesn't change your life every day. Adoption does. There's not a day that has gone by since this meeting that the four people in that picture have not thought about the other ones involved. This is the story that we live as Christians. Why did God send Jesus? Was it to save us? Yes. He came to our rescue. Unequivocally true. But so much more. It was God's delight to adopt us. Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Church, for rescue and for salvation, we are eternally grateful. If that's where it ended, we would absolutely remember and celebrate the anniversary of that rescue and even our hero's birthday. Doesn't that sound a lot like Easter and Christmas? But here we are worshiping and celebrating King Jesus in May. Why? Because he adopted us. And rescue doesn't invade the everyday. Becoming family invades the everyday. Adoption is forever. That's why we're here worshiping in May. This month is Foster Care Awareness Month. And I know many of you didn't even know there was such a thing, and that's probably why they have it, to make you aware of foster care. So setting orphan care and foster care in the context of the gospel fuels us way past feeling bad for some kids. If you want, I can share more stories in the back, but I come with a heavy heart today because I'm privy to information about the 10 counties of the Bay Area and needs that are happening right now that the church is uniquely qualified to meet. Let me take you into family court in downtown San Jose. When Noel, when, when Noel Anaya was just a year old, he and his five brothers and sisters were placed in the California foster care system. 
He spent nearly all of his life in that system and has just turned 21. In California, that's the age that foster kids age out of the system. That process becomes official at a final court hearing. Anaya, along with Youth Radio, got rare permission to record the proceeding where he read a letter he wrote about his experience in the foster care system. Here it is. Walking into court for for my very last time as a foster youth, I feel like I'm getting divorced from a system that I've been in a relationship with my entire life. It's bittersweet because I know I'm losing guaranteed stipends for food and housing, but on the other hand, I'm relieved to finally get away from a system that ultimately failed me on its biggest promise. That one day, they would find me a family who would love me. Little things like when Judge Shauna Schwartz mispronounces my name serve as a constant reminder that, hey, I'm just a number. I often come away feeling powerless and anonymous in the foster care system. To whom it may concern, this is the year that I divorce you. Your gray hands can no longer hurt me. Your gray hands can never overpower me. Your gray hands can never tell you that you love me because it's too late. I use gray hands to describe the foster care system because it never felt warm or human. It's institutional. Opposite the sort of unconditional love I imagine that parents try to show to their kids. In an ideal world, being a foster kid is supposed to be temporary. When it's stable and appropriate, the preference is to reunite kids with their parents or family members. Adoption is the next best option. I used to dream of it. Having a mom and dad, siblings to play with, a dog, but when I hit 12, I realized I was getting old, that adoption would probably never happen to me. He closes with this, I felt goosebumps when the gavel slapped down on my judge's desk, happy because I'm no longer cared for by a system that was never that good at actually caring for me. Noel, the child, is now an adult in our community. He's not alone. He's not a number. And he does matter. As a local church pastor and a large family, I have plenty to do. But when I had an opportunity to step into something called Foster the Bay, now Foster the City, several years ago, I jumped at it. What keeps me fired up with Foster the City is quite simply this. Foster the City is the vehicle that allows me to help. Generosity and joyful open-handedness characterize God's people. Of the more than 2,000 verses I could share with you, let me share with you just two. Proverbs 29, seven, the righteous care about justice for the poor. The wicked have no such concern. Deuteronomy 15, seven, If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns in the land the Lord your God is giving to you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward the poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. I've been speaking on this for more than 15 years. 
I read this passage not long ago, and it hit me like a lightning bolt. Freely lend whatever the poor lack. What a picture of foster care. Foster care lends stability to families who are in dire need of some stability. Foster care lends loving parents to children in our system who need that. Both fostering and adoption can end up lending your life to another person for as long as you have life. Is there a better investment in all the universe than people? I can't think of one. God backs me up on that. There are poor among us, Calvary Church. Will we knowingly be hard-hearted and tight-fisted or open-handed open-hearted, and open-homed. Who does God use to accomplish what is good and just amongst us? Let's look back at Micah for a second. Micah 1.1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth. Anyone know their Bible history where Morasheth is? Yeah, I didn't either. I had to study it. It's 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Have you heard of Jerusalem? Yeah. Jerusalem is the center, the hub of power, of decision making, of influence. Morasheth, not so much. I preached through Micah last summer. From our church, 22 miles southwest, guess where that puts us? Scotts Valley. If you're traveling outside the state somewhere at a conference on vacation, they say, Where are you from? I'm from California. Wow, how cool. Whereabouts? Scotts Valley. Oh, Silicon Valley. I've heard of that. Wow, tell me about Silicon Valley. No, 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 no. Scotts Valley. Never heard of it. Who cares about Scotts Valley? If you go to another place, they won't have heard of it. Here's what's powerful about Micah. Micah from Morasheth was called to Jerusalem, the hub of power and influence and decision-making. In short, Micah was a nobody from nowhere, and yet God used Micah greatly. And what qualified him? The word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. God shoulder-tapped him for an assignment. He said yes, and he went. Micah had a trait that's very important in caring for vulnerable children. That's perseverance. It says in these opening verses that he prophesied in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Oftentimes we just sort of blitz past that stuff. But here's what's interesting. Micah courageously calls out God's message message of judgment across three different administrations. In fact, he was a prophet in Jerusalem for 30 years. Think of the last three presidential administrations. Is there a little bit of disagreement on what is considered good and just? While the winds of popular opinion and the winds of power made declarative statements about what is good and just, What did Micah do? He stood firm. He preached God's truth courageously. You do the same thing, sometimes you'll be in favor with the current administration. Sometimes you'll be diametrically opposed to the current administration. What kept him there? What had him preserved for 30 years and three different kings? The word of the Lord came to Micah. He stood on the word of the Lord. 
By the way, when God calls you into very deep waters, don't look to others for validation or understanding. They won't get it. When we were first talking about adoption, we had many people in our community, several people in our community, think it was unwise to do so. People began to fill us with this thing called common sense. When we went from adopting one to two at a time, another round of voices came up. Unwise, unsafe. God kept calling us out into deeper and deeper waters. When you go from seven children to announcing that you're gonna be adopting two more, a chorus of voices thought that was really unwise and unsafe. You know whose voice rang loudest in my wife and I's ears? God's. God was calling us forward in this, and so we pressed on. Let me take you back to family court, back downtown. I was there this last Thursday with my wife, and we were there to witness a momentous day in the life of a little eight-year-old girl. This was the court hearing that would place her forever in the eyes of the law, what had already been true in practice. This is a picture of my friend Rob and Julie Collins. They've been fostering for four years. And this last year, the law recognized what had already been true. God had loaned Alex a family. The one she was born with broke beyond repair and God raised up parents and siblings to stand in the gap. I've been on two placement hearings like this since COVID. This same judge was there for both of them. So I'm chatting with him, saying what a joy this is and how this never gets old to me. And a few feet away is the biological grandma of little Alex, hugging my friend Rob, saying, I love you, I love you. Thank you for loving us, I love you. Churches tend to be really good at some kinds of restoration, some kinds of justice, some kinds of doing good. Let me take a stab at it. Addiction and grief recovery, nurturing connection and community in small groups, men's groups, women's groups, youth groups, children's groups, family ministry, visiting, giving, and going to those who are impoverished in other countries. Church, let me say this. That is all well and good. Yes and amen, press on in the good work. But I believe God is awakening the church in the Bay Area and beyond to recognize that we have passed off restoring families impacted by foster care to the government. And that's insane because we are the ones uniquely qualified to deal in the realm of restoration of families. Furthermore, we are called by it. The word of the Lord has come to us. It's unmistakable. Let me give you one very simple next step. One more minute. The next step is easy. It's to say yes to an interest meeting at Foster the City. In two weeks, right over the hill at Venture Christian Church at 1 p.m., there will be an in-person interest meeting. An interest meeting is a catch-all for someone to say, I want to take a next step in just understanding what this is. On a football team, there's one person handling the ball at any given time, and an army of people 
that are making that a success. That picture is fostering an adoption. The model that we have, you've heard it before, but four support friends rally around one foster family. Calvary, I'm really convinced if every single person in here felt called by God to say, God, help me find my something in foster care, it would revolutionize your community. In here, out there, and beyond. Would you pray with me? God, we were born into a spiritual orphanage. We were at risk youth and you chose to get involved and we are just eternally grateful for that. But God, you didn't just pull us up and out of the orphanage, you adopted us into your family such that we are not strangers at your table today. God, we love you, we're open to you, we're listening to you. In your name we pray, amen.